Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and I'm joined by Pastor Eric. And I'm Pastor Lawrence. And we are delighted to be with you today. Uh, We are in the Bible reading plan, and we are in the book of Judges, which is a literary masterpiece. Uh, It has some of the stories that you might be familiar with from Sunday school, particularly the story of Samson, and I hate to burst your bubble, a little foreshadowing, we're not going to paint the best picture of Samson today, Uh, we're going to show him for all his flaws, so if you don't want to know that Samson and and most of us, and all of us are sinful people, please turn the podcast off right now and uh, just go listen to something else, that's a joke, that's a joke, please don't turn the podcast off, but uh, as you're reading the Bible reading, as we're in the Bible reading plan, I do want to offer you guys maybe a helpful hint or some encouragement that for some of you who just, this is your first read-through of the Old Testament or your first full read-through, not just bits and pieces you got from sermons or Sunday school or you know some Bible studies you've been in, don't feel the need to understand every piece of theology at every story. It's okay to read it, you know, re- read it as you're re- reading the Bible reading plan and you might miss some things. I would, again, I'm always encouraging people to use the New Living Translation for your first read-through and try to read the, lar- the whole chunk, the whole section at, at the same time. And uh, if, if this is your second or third read-through, then you might be you know, going to commentary. But if, you, if it's your first read-through, remember, reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, seeing how it all fits together, that's a lifelong pursuit. So you, you may not get everything uh, during this reading, but that part of the discipline is trusting God, and and you will start to notice things. You will start to notice patterns of sin, and even how some of these characters show up in the New Testament, and how the story fits together. So just a little word of encouragement, and uh, yeah, praise God as we are trusting Him together in this Bible reading plan. So my first question is our icebreaker question, and uh, so the book of Judges is is, is a story Uh, is an account of mainly six judges and then some minor judges, six major judges, and it was meant to teach the Israelites a lesson, to to record the history, but also it's written in a way to show them their need for God. And uh, my my icebreaker question for all of us here is, what's a movie that has taught you a lesson uh, that makes you think about life or makes you reflect on your own life? So just something fun or something serious, but yeah. So let's go. Eric, you're first. Okay, so uh, we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. I was going to go Les Mis, but, but I'm, I'm going to, this is for Lawrence, because I, I, this is what I've actually Don't been thinking through a lot. Now, so uh, I'm actually going to say Hamilton. 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 Wow. Oh, great choice. Um, so That movie's been out for like a week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I mean, it counts as a movie, right? Yeah. It's yeah, on yeah, Disney yeah, Plus. Works. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've. It's just been something that I've been then processing since it's come out. I guess it's been what, a few weeks or a week and a half. Um, but just just thinking a lot about uh, specifically this this idea of. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself a hi- history buff. That's more of Danny. So uh, thanks. Yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I don't look at the the founding fathers as these like pristine figures that that are exalted in our in our society. Like I don't. I don't necessarily think of it like that. So, so to see, but but just the the fact that you you get this picture of really complicated figures with with really complicated stories, and even like uh, they talk about this idea of legacy and uh, how you don't you don't get to write your own legacy. You get to plant seeds, but but other people are going to get to tell your story. Um, 
and so I, th- I think just, just processing that, like processing how, like what, what you do today, you don't, you don't have a say on, on what other people are going to say about it in the future. And even what, what is the culture going to shift to in 50 years, a hundred years, 200 years from now, uh, 244 years from now, where, so do what, we strive to what are build? people going to be saying about them? Yeah. What, what are they saying about them? Like, how, how are you being represented? And, and, and what's, what's the, the public conscience going to be mm-hmm. like? And what are they going to say about it? So, so I've just been processing some of that and, and trying to, I, I, I don't really know what to make of that, but I just, it's been really interesting to, to, um, to navigate and try to think through what, it, what all does that mean? What are the implications of that? And even looking back to God's word and how, we see that God's word is is uh, unchanging. God is unchanging. His character is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Um, and so, yeah, just just that's been on my on my mind a lot. Well, it's a lot to think about because is it like, do we live to build in light of thinking of the future legacy that we'll have with humans, or do we live to trust God with each day? And then and I, and I think, I'll say this one one last thought, and and this is I'm just going to leave this out there. Is uh, it, it was almost surprising to see that the the cast of Hamilton is majority people of color, and and it, you know just knowing the environment and, and knowing our cultural landscape, I, I just thought that was like it's a really powerful picture, and I, I I don't know, just trying to process that too. It's interesting because it made me think about it. It wasn't in the story of Hamilton, but I think about someone like Jonathan Edwards who when you read about him in our history books in America, all it says is fire and brimstone preacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know? yeah, that's the line that... That's the line. That's the yeah. line he gets in our society right now. Yeah. But if you actually know Jonathan Edwards, one of the most intelligent, philosophical, uh, incredible theologian, incredible pastor, like all this stuff. But, but all he also gets flawed. Is, yeah, he had, he had flaws. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do we understand the sins of the past? Yeah. Right. So, it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mine's not as deep. Um, mine's taught me more about life than any other movie. <laughs> okay. We're, we're on the edge of our seat. The Sandlot. The Sandlot. Oh, You're absolutely. killing me, Smalls. Absolutely. It taught me how uh, to get a lifeguard to kiss you. Hmm. Uh, it taught me how to... Tell me what a s'more was. S'mores? Yeah, okay. I, I, I've never known. Guys, I was a Korean household. I never knew what a s'more was. Wait, how old were you when you watched this movie? Oh, I don't even know how old I was. Ten. I'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't remember when it came out, but it just was okay. was the movie for me. Love it. Love it so much. Taught me how to insult people. I just can't believe <laughs> you went that long without knowing what a s'more is. Yeah, what? I was born in Philadelphia, lived in Atlanta. Not much camping being done. Okay. Not much camping That's in the fair. inner city. Huh? <laughs> yeah. You, you had to move to Panama City to I moved to Panama City to discover what camping was. <laughs> okay. okay. Even then, uh, the idea of camping for me, even now, I'm like, can I make a s'more inside my air conditioned house? <laughs> <laughs> so for me, um, I, I'm similar to Eric's answer. I like movies that bring me back to a time in history and help me reflect on them. I'm I'm a person, I love history, so I try to think like, I, I try to not to always judge the people under how we think today, but always look at it of, of, of at that time. And two movies that really just stick with me is Cinderella Man. It's a movie about the Great Depression and a guy who's a boxer and he goes from having a lot to losing everything and just how Americans struggle during the Great Depression. And then I, I contrast that with a movie like Selma, which shows hmm. kind of how the, the plight of black people in the, well, America's prospering in the 50s into the 60s, uh, most black people in America, particularly in the South, but even in the Northern cities were really struggling. So there was kind of this coming out of the, even thinking about the different periods of American history and thinking about what if I was there 
could I have trusted God? What, what would I have been like? What was it like for those people? So I like movies that bring you into history. I, li- I like the entertainment value, but I also I also love when they bring you into history. Mm. So, all right, now we're going to get to judges. And, and if you all have any icebreaker questions that you want us to answer or some of our special guests, our guests are normally the, the staff of the church, you know, Erica, Joy, Megan, um, we'll bring in different staff, but if or if you have a question you want us to answer, write it in. Email me, Danny at waypointrdu.com, and maybe we'll ask it as our icebreaker question. But now we're going to get to the book of Judges. So I want to ask Eric and Lawrence this. When you think, when you first, first think about the book of Judges, what's the, like, what did you think about Judges? Like maybe as a child, I know Lawrence, you grew up in the church a little bit. Eric, you came to Christ more as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the book of Judges and how have you, how have you, progressed and as as you've grown in understanding redemptive history what are, what are maybe some of your thoughts now oh. the the book of judges for as a kid is never known as like the book of judges you, you always think about the story of like samson or uh, gideon as just more like separate stories so it was never just like the book of judges it was always like oh there's a story of samson and for mm-hmm. me that samson was like oh that's my, that's my version of hercules you know like i used to have like debates with my friends as kids like who's stronger hercules or samson only lawrence only lawrence i know that was that's what i would do <laughs> if your kids are doing that they might be a pastor one day, yeah, one so day. just just be warned if parents well, out there they might be like me which is a scary thought so it's a beautiful Beautiful thought. I loved. I love the story of Samson. I love these like cool, epic. I mean, come on, man! The guy had a jawbone of a donkey and beat a thousand warriors with him. Mm-hmm. Just awesome. That might be hyperbole. Maybe him and his other men beat a thousand warriors. Hate, hate to burst your bubble. Hate to burst your bubble, Lawrence. That's but, probably but hyperbole. That's just awesome and epic. These stories, you know, a, a group of small arm. Like you decided what warriors to bring with you by the way they drank water. You know, I mean, mm. these are really cool, epic stories, and we we taught our kids them because we're like, oh, we should just give them knowledge. But the reality is. We taught them the wrong lessons. Yeah, right? it's not really biblical what we taught them. You know, we taught them here's some cool elements, here's a cool story, but really, is that the biblical lesson about these stories? So, so for you, judges was growing up was a little more about heroes of faith, right? Cool the stories. epic, cool stories. And then as you progressed and reading the Old Testament for yourself, going to seminary, learning more and more, you are like, wow. How about you, Eric? Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about. I wonder, I wonder if I actually benefited from not going through Sunday school because <laughs> I don't. In I don't some ways, some, you some missed the, out, but I mean, in yeah, these yeah, kind of ways, yeah. you definitely benefited. I don't have some of the same baggage. I mean, yeah, like I, I think I would have benefited tremendously from just becoming more and more familiar with biblical stories, um, but maybe, maybe learning that, uh, you know, don't cut your hair and you can be strong like Samson. <laughs> but don't tell um, my son that he's growing his hair out. It's getting too long. <laughs> Well, but, but that's probably why a waypoint, right? We, we, we don't want to just lift up these stories. We want to tell the, the story. We want to tell the redemptive story. Where do these yeah. stories fit in the redemptive story? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it, if you had asked me this question when I was 17, 18 years old, I, I would have I had similar thoughts as, as Lawrence. Like, I was excited about reading some of these stories about these men of valor and just thinking, like, wow, they didn't... Or, or even the story of Gideon where God's like, you have 3,000 men. That's too many. <laughs> let's, cut, let's cut this down to 300, and then we're going to go. And, and, you know, it's, it, it seems exciting. Um, but, and, and you almost, like, you, you almost want to glorify that. You want to glorify these men and what they're doing. But, but you know, but you going, forget it's God. It's about it's, God. It's about God. It's, it's about, about God and what he's doing. And, yeah. and, and God's saying, 
if if you if you if you have this size army, then of course they're going to think you were. Of course you'd be victorious. But but I want I want to show my glory. I want to show what I'm doing. I want to show what I'm about. Uh, that's that's what God is doing. He's one the one who's bringing deliverance and rescue. He's he's using all these flawed people. Um, but even even then, I would have I would have said that judges has this cyclical pattern to it. Okay, so like it, like it was it. Why why is this is strange? Like why why does this happen? Where so, I would I wouldn't have noticed the the uh, moral decay that was happening, but specifically there's a pattern like people doing things in, in their own eyes. They're doing evil. And then they're handed over to their oppressor, and then God raises up this judge who delivers them. Everything's happy in the land, and then the people do evil again, and it happens again and again and again. And it was like wow. it's really like that. That was I remember having the, those kinds of observations and just thinking, okay, well, not necessarily placing the fact mm-hmm. that it's it's not glorifying these these men, um, but that God is using them. God is working through them. That's cool. Um, so that ties into our second question at the beginning of all six of the major judge cycles. So in judges, there's what they'd call minor judges, some judges that just get a couple from one sentence to a couple sentences to the six major judges. And then each of those get an extensive uh, account and they get their moral decline seems to get worse and worse as the story goes on. And they're in different geographic sections of Israel too. They're not all in one place. They're, they're in, the, in the area, but all six of these cycles begin with this phrase. The Israelites did, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this is in, you know, each cycle. And the six, these, these judges, these cycles are built around this cycle. So Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Two, Israel gives, sells themselves. The Lord gives or hands them over to the hands of the oppressor, basically gives them what they want. Israel serves the oppressor for X amount of years. Israel cries out to the Lord. The Lord raises up a deliverer, which is normally a judge. Sometimes it's a combination of like Deborah and a a warrior. And and I do want to define what a judge is. So a judge isn't a guy with a gavel, you know, making decisions. This is more like kind of like a city state warrior leader, a little bit like a king, a little bit. And he is executing justice, so that's where the term judge comes from. But he's not a full king, but he's functions a little like the city tribal state. Chief wa- tribal chief. Tribal uh, chief. So he's doing a lot of things, wearing a lot of hats. And when God raises this person up, normally this person is a, because of God, not because of their own might, even though they think it is. This, this judge is able to deliver the people. Uh, when God raises up Deborah, he also... Like Barak is the soldier that Deborah has to convince to kind of work with her, but it ends up being the ladies are the ones who actually <laughs> execute all the final mm-hmm. things that God that God wants. So the pattern is after God raises up this deliverer, the spirit of the Lord comes upon the deliverer, the oppressor is subdued, the land has rest for X amount of years, boom, the Israelites do evil in the sight of the Lord. So that's the cycle. It's interesting, Eric, you were just the 17 you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old reading this for the first time, and you notice the pattern. It's very obvious. Um, so my question is, why do you think this cycle continues, and what can this teach us today? For me, what jumps out in this cycle, noticing this cycle, is is this kind of thought of, like, seriously? Yeah. Like, 
Again? Like, weren't the Israelites just doing this beforehand? Didn't they have right. a cycle of, like, building their own idols? And you just you can't help but be like, why do you keep doing this? Mm-hmm. And one thing we have to take into consideration is, even though it's six cycles, how much time this period this is. It's not like six cycles happened in six years. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, God delivered me, then six months later, they fell into this pattern. It's actually, the whole course of judges is roughly around 350 years. So almost as long as they were in Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is a long period of time. It's not one generation. It's multiple generations that occur in this. And so what made me think about this idea of like, even for myself, I grew up um, as a second generation immigrant family. My parents grew up first generation. They were here and the kind of their work ethic, this kind of uh, this desperation of appreciation of being in America, um, this desperation to succeed in America was kind of instilled upon my generation. But oftentimes when we see this in some of these immigrant families, that, that next generation, um, they didn't see that work ethic. They, they don't see as, not necessarily the work ethic, but they don't feel the desperation as much that occurred in the first immigrants. So they start maybe not appreciating it or not understanding it as well. And so I think I see this pattern can be very much, at first it's like, how could you possibly? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with these people? But then I see it played out even generationally amongst in America, sociologically. I'm like, oh, Maybe that does make a little more sense. And maybe we are very similar that we quickly forget from one generation to another. That's why the Bible over and over again says, make sure you tell the next generation, Mm -hmm. teach the next generation. So we cry out. God gives us blessing, gives us favor. I mean, prime example, America came out of the Great Depression and World War II. And the 50s and 60s were an incredibly prosperous time. But it's also the time when Americans suppressed african-american people and it built the suburbs you know certain groups of people so so even in our own modern history we can get blessing and forget god and do things that go against god so that's just one example i like the example you brought up about your own family so so the cycle continues you do you have any thoughts eric on this cycle either for them or for us yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just think may, maybe not a specific practical example like like Lawrence is giving, but I think in general, it, we're drawn to, uh, like, we, we crave success, we crave prosperity, um, and when we don't have it, then we're very much aware that we need it. Uh, and so, we're, of course, we cry out. We cry out for help. We cry out for uh, for deliverance. We, we want God to, to especially in, in a Christian context, we, we want God to, to come to our rescue, to, to bring us out of this situation that we're in, these circumstances we're facing. But then as soon as we, we're out of it, it's... Thanks, God. Thanks, God. I'll take like, it from here. I'll, I'll take it from here. I, yeah. I'm good. Like I'm, like, I'm glad that you got me to this point, but now, now I'm sufficient to maintain it. And I think that we... Uh, it's it's very easy for us to, to neglect uh, or, or overlook how, how quickly we can drift away. <laughs> so we can do this individually. This can be our like a pattern of our own our own or, life. Or I think that or the, corporately, the, the promises or of God in, are something we can uh, yeah. just do maintenance work on. Yeah, good answers, guys. Um, yeah, this is this is a lot to think about. So, guys, at, as we're thinking about the Book of Judges, you can see these patterns. Why do they, Why is it so easy for the New Testament writers? to refer back to the Old Testament. It's easy because of these patterns that we are, as the church, do the sum of the things or many of the things that they did. Um, The next thing I want to think about is, so there's six cycles, and it's intentional. I mean, the the narrator or the author, probably collaborators who put judges together, all the accounts, and 
they make it very clear that there's these six cycles of judges and there's no seventh. So a seventh would mean it's, it's good. So by leaving it at six, there's no seventh day. There's no rest. There's no conclusion. And the best conclusion they can come up with is how the book ends is they had no king, so they just did whatever they want. And this brings us into Ruth, which prepares us for David. So, so really, Judges gets us to the period when they, God says, okay, you need a king, I'll give you a king. I should be your king, but I'll give you a king. But there's this interesting dynamic. If there's no seventh, no seventh cycle mentioned, means that they don't fully get rest. And the author of Hebrews really alludes to this. When he says in Hebrews 4 is a fascinating chapter. I actually preached a sermon on it. You can go back into the archives. It's uh, on our uh, podcast archives and find it. But it, it's really important, this theme of rest. And they don't get it under Joshua into the period of the judges. And ultimately, it points us to Christ. We get this in Christ. But even the Hebrews 4 alludes to that we got it in Christ. And David was looking forward to the rest he was going to get in Christ, not the rest of the land. Mm-hmm. David, in one of the Psalms, is like, I'm still looking forward to this rest. I'm in the rest, but I'm looking forward to it. But we get the rest in Christ, but even the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 says, we're not there yet. Like, we haven't fully gotten the rest, and that's when Jesus comes back, our final king, and consummates all things. And that's like with the book of Ezekiel, Revelation. Like, Jesus finalizes this plan that starts with Adam and Eve in the garden after they sin, and Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. So any, any other thoughts on this? I mean, I, I found this fascinating that there's intentionally no seventh cycle because they didn't get the rest. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting theological observation to, to tease out of, of what's happening in, in the book of Judges. And, and it's even, I, I think, saying to us that I think, I think the biblical authors are communicating that, that through the, the deliverance that the judges are providing, there, there isn't this ultimate rest that, that the people are seeking. And so, so you, you have, I mean, going from Othniel to, I mean, Samson, and, and like you just have this, this spiraling moral decay where people are trying to do things according to, to their own eyes and, and not seeking the face of the Lord. And, and so it makes sense that you have this culmination where there, ultimately there is, there, it's, it's left with kind of a, a sense of restlessness. But it, it is pointing, I mean, the, their solution is, okay, let's seek a king now. We, we need a king to, to bring the deliverance, to bring the rest that we want. Um, but like you're saying, Danny, uh, da- David was looking for a, an even greater rest. And, and um, ultimately, these, these things are, are bringing us along the way to say, what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. You didn't find it in Moses. You're not going to find, you didn't find it in these judges. You're not going to find it in this king. You're, you're going to find it in this, this promised one who is coming that, that we know is, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school, <clears throat> I remember a series of movies, kind of like end times horror movies would come out, you know, like Omen or these other mm-hmm. movies like that. I talked about the end times, you know. What about Deep Impact. And those well, no, it was more, more like the, more like. Antichrist, oh, Satan, oh, like oh, satanic, actually Christian, yeah, movies. yeah, okay. and it wasn't Christian; it was like horror movies, oh, you know. Okay. Yeah, okay. But um, I remember they, they talked about this idea of Mark of the Beast and the number six six six, and then a whole bunch of literature came out about the Mark of the Beast and six six six, all that kind of stuff. And I remember being like, "Oh my gosh, six is evil." That number six, and mm-hmm. you used to always be scared of six, and seven was better. If anything landed on six, or yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's so bad. It has to be seven, you know." Yeah. But you, even in the Bible, you get to page six six six, and you're like, "Oh, what? 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 Should I read this?" <laughs> But the idea, though, is what people don't realize is this idea of the number six is not necessarily satanic. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's just contrary to God. Which it literally falls short. It's it's falls short. short. It's, it's man's attempt versus right. God's attempt. Right. In the lineage in Adam, in Genesis, it talks about the number six, the sixth one in the lineage, the seventh one in the lineage, is really the lineage of God versus the lineage of man. And this is what we see over and over again. This pattern is in Judges, it shows this pattern over again. We trust in men. We rely on our men. We rely on leaders. We rely on ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we can't provide rest. That's why there's no seventh cycle here, mm-hmm. you know? And so what this idea over and over again, the same theme that's in Judges, same theme throughout the whole Bible, is that it's, and that's what the mark of the beast is, and that's what this all is, is are we choosing to trust in man or in the world, or do we choose to trust in God? Mm-hmm. And we are grateful that our rest is in Christ. Mm-hmm. And it may not come across as rest, like, leisure and sleep but it's going to come across as peace Mm. and shalom in christ Mm. Mm. Um, so we're going to move on and this is uh from one of the commentaries that i read and it, it says that no matter what they did no matter how bad their sin was it says god graciously saves israel even though the character of the judges becomes increasingly flawed and disobedience abounds and these stories get worse and worse and even samson i mean you're just like wow this dude is not a good dude i mean he is he gets filled with the spirit at one moment and does some right things and he's even honored in in the the uh in hebrews and we'll talk about that in a second as someone who who has faith he's not honored by for his character he's not honored by all the other things he's just saying at that moment he trusted god but you have these flawed individuals and like eric said they're it just gets worse and worse as we, the judges progress so why are these guys why do American Christians particularly, I don't know about other groups because I'm not too involved and, you know, I work, you know, internationally, but why do American Christians really like to make these guys heroes of faith? Like, why are Gideon and Samson not heroes of kind of that we're flawed individuals and we all need, not heroes of grace, heroes of, they should be heroes of God's grace, not heroes of men of valor. Why do, why do you think that is? Well, one, I think... <clears throat> The story of Samson in particular, it's a cool story for, for young guys in particular. That's just there were Samson action figures and Samson video <laughs> yeah. games that, have, that came out at least in the 80s. I think there's wow. even a, a Marvel, there's a Marvel comic character named Samson too. So, I mean, it's just... It's like Zeus or yeah, like it's just one Thor. Of those, it appeals in some way, you yeah. know? But it's also an easy way. It's hard to see God as a hero. You know, it, it really is. As, as, as human beings, it's hard to see the invisible as the hero. Because we like p- p- lifting up role models. We like lifting up heroes ourselves. Mm-hmm. We like lifting up that athlete or that leader or that we political need a king. figure. We want a king. It's just innate in our, And it's, it's naturally easier. We take the easy way and want to lift up human beings. You know? David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. Is it about God? Is, I mean, is, who's the hero? David? No, the hero is God. Exactly. But that's our problem. That's our, that, see, these guys, what the, the author of Judges is trying to show, that these guys are zeros. You know, these guys are not heroes. But that's, that's what he's trying to show. Even like somebody like um, Samson, who's supposed to be a, a Nazarite vow, he took these serious vows. Even the way he was born was show that he's supposed to take these vows very seriously. He did not. I mean, he was. He's supposed to protect the Israelites from the Philistines, and he's in bed with the Philistine women. And, exactly. And being enticed by their gods and their, their way of life. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so it's just really the, the whole text is just show them that these guys are not heroes, but God is our hero. And in spite of how flawed they are, God's going to still use flawed people to save his people. Yeah, so, I wonder, do you guys, I, I would be curious to look into like what uh, Jewish culture of, of the day would have thought, like, uh, 
removed like not not too far removed from from these guys how they would have looked back on them just because you know in, in our own cultural environment we like to uh we like to glorify our leaders and we like to minute like we we elevate them we elevate the we glorify the the good things about them and we we minimize all of the the uh sinful things or, or we we want to overlook those things um even even reading about Gideon, I, when I was reading about Gideon this this that time through, a mess, man. Uh, there, there, there's some it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Moses in, in Moses's encounter with God at the burning bush, yeah. where he's like God is showing him these signs to to show you know I'm sending you I'm going to be with and he even asks like how 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 can I know that this is going to happen. God's like, I'm gonna go with you, and and it's similar similar kind of stuff that happens with Gideon. Gideon's like, no, I'm I'm the weakest in my family, a part of the weakest tribe. God's like, okay, I'll show you this sign, and then he does a sign, and then Gideon's give like, me another one, give me it, do it again. <laughs> and he's like, okay, do it again, and then he's still like, he's constantly testing God, and God uses this guy, and 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 even in that, we we somehow can overlook it and think, wow. He led an army of three hundred men and and conquered the Midianites and I just yeah I wonder I wonder if they have the the Jewish Jewish people in, in that time had that same kind of blindness yeah, or if I think like, they saw I was listening to some commentaries and they noticed the humor in it like Gideon's afraid 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 and then before the battle he's like for the Lord and for Gideon right. that's what he says like all of a sudden just, he's like this brave guy. And he was, he did, God was with him and God allowed him to have the victory. And then at the end of the battle, he's like, we don't need a king. God's our king. You know, he's like, so you think it's this great statement right after that. He's like, but I want all of you to give me one of your earrings, all the people he conquered. And, and it says, that's what the Ishmaelites kids, kings did. So he's acting kingly. So his action, his words, he's like this false humility. His mm-hmm. words are like, no, I'm not yeah. a king. God's the king. Look, God did it. But I'm going to do what kings do. He builds this little gold statue or something, and that ends up being the demise over the 40 years of, yeah. of peace. And he names his son Abim- Abimelech. He has 70 sons, so he's going against the, the, the polygamy warning of Genesis that he should know about. And he has all these concubines. So he's basically a king. And Abimelech means the son of the king. So he says yeah. he's not. And he's just an example of what happens when we get God's favor and God's power. Yeah. And you, we've seen many church leaders fall into this trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, don't th- I don't think Gideon's a hero of faith. I think he's a warning. He's a hero in the fact that God is faithful. That Gideon, all he needed to muster up was a little bit of faith, and God will use anyone. But he's also a great example for us, particularly us as church leaders. Hey, guess what? You need to be careful. If God gives you any kind of favor or any kind of favor with the people, you're going to think it's your you did it, mm, and you're going to have pride, and you're going to live for yourself and live for your glory and not for God's glory. That's and this good. many yeah. many people in the church have fallen into this trap. And and from a different angle too, uh, you know, we can we can look at the cultural environment and and see it's it may may we may decide that there's moral decay and it's getting worse and worse and worse. But that's not that's not an indication of God's not able to use people in it. Like he right. he can still use even like God's willing to lower himself and he can use even the, the really really flawed people like it 
things are getting worse in judges and yet God is still active and moving. He's he's going to be faithful. There's nothing there's nothing in this that has jeopardized his promises to to be fulfilled for his people. He's he's faithful in that. That's good. All right, next question. So there's a theme that's woven, a theological theme woven throughout the book of Judges, and it's basically this, that they attempt, the attempt to manipulate God. God saves, but not because he has been manipulated. And there are attempts to manipulate God from the beginning of the book throughout. So how do we attempt to manipulate God? Like, what are some ways that we, as modern people, like, it's easy to see they did it. Like, wow, Gideon, you did this or that. But how do, how do we manipulate God? Yeah, I mean, Lawrence talked about this before, before we even started. It was, uh, God, if you, just, if you just do this thing for me, then, then I'll do this. If you just give me, the, like, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, used to, I used to pray, like, God, if you would just give me this, like, so give me this one Gideon's thing. Is Gideon's fleece a positive or negative example? Like, in American Christianity, sometimes it's taught as, like, a thing to do. Mm. But many Old Testament scholars would be like, it's kind of like a lack of faith. Right. Like, yeah, he didn't need the fleece, but we... Yeah. Right, he's, he's putting God to the test. Yeah. That's right. And God and, honored, God loved Gideon. God loves his people. God had a plan right. to save. But and yeah. God was patient and forbearing. But like, I remember, yeah, as a kid, like, God, just give me that girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Or God, maybe let me get that aces test or whatever. Maybe just give me that thing and I'll be your faithful servant forever. It never lasted very long. You know, like he give me that thing. I'll I mean, like, oh, even no. like as you get older, it becomes a little. Uh, it sounds better. Like when, once you get to college, it's like, Lord, I've been faithful and zealous for you, you and go. the way that I've studied for this test, and I just want to honor you. And so let this be. <laughs> Ooh, that's let, good. <laughs> let, this, let this be a representation of how I worked hard to to glorify you in this context. That sounds very uh, rehearsed and well done over and over yeah, again. It, there, it, it didn't Eric. really work out. And, <laughs> and then be like, God, why? Why not? It's so, interesting though when we when we attempt to manipulate God though it's it's really we 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 warp and twist our very perception of who God is. You know, when we try to manipulate God, we make it seem like he's he's like a, our wife or our husband or our child or our mother or our father in the sense of like or an ATM machine. Yeah, or an ATM machine. Yeah. Or gene, like it's almost like can you trick him? Moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, yeah. it's like he's he's this genie. He's exactly like this right. is this is how God this is how I uh, how I relate to God or how God relates to me. I do good things and I ask for things and God gives me based on, on my merits or, or like that's, that's how God works. We, we view him that way. We think, uh, I mean, even I, I wouldn't say that we do, we necessarily do that, uh, specifically, um, in, in our context, but, but I think in some ways we, we kind of, default to that a little bit more than maybe even we realize or a lot more like Gideon than we think exactly right even those who aren't leaders I think we can preach all day to a blue in the face that we don't believe this but so much innately it's something in our core kind of like almost lives this way we almost believe because all human beings are so transactional Mm -hmm. that we almost can't help but think this way ourselves about God and I think one of the most beautiful things about the gospel for me personally in my Christian walk is the Sermon on the Mount because I can read the Old Testament and I can see how bad they were and see God's faithfulness. And then I'm like, so what do I do with all this? And then I come to the Sermon on the Mount. I remember when I first read the Do Not Worry passage in Matthew 6 as a teenager and being like, holy cow, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. I've, I've read that passage mm-hmm. thousands of times. I remember speaking at a college crew meeting on campus and just 
having them stop and read this. I said, hey, for this today's meeting, we're just going to read the Sermon on the Mount. I'm, I'm going to talk for five minutes. I'm just going to give you a chance to stop and read the teachings of Jesus. But in the Do Not Worry passage, he says, you know, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And, and he says, the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think he's saying all the flaws, all the brokenness, all the Old Testament, David and Gideon, and them, they had faith, but they, this is what we needed. This is the new covenant. We need to seek first Jesus and his righteousness and his kingdom, and then he'll order these things. So I think this, this attempt to manipulate God actually gives us the re- reserve reverse results and jesus is like i already know what you need before you ask now that's the dilemma as modern americans because we think we can control our own destiny what we think we need may not be what god knows what we need Mm -hmm. like a child thinks that you know a four-year-old thinks they need to eat candy every day Mm -hmm. but we know that's not best for them so i think there's a lot to learn from judges and and this is one of them is that we try to manipulate god then the next question this leads us into like this idea of idols. So then they go from trying to manipulate God to then turning to idols. And because they think maybe idols can be manipulated and they start with Canaanite deities and then they turn into their own deities. You know, they, they create Israelite deities that are Israelite idols that are not God. And what are some modern idols that we create inside and outside the church? And what yeah. are some thoughts on that? John Calvin says our hearts are little idol factories, that we're just constantly making little idols all the time. And outside of the church, I think we see so many idols of whether it's comfort and security, of consumerism, of this kind of idea of, of science and um, like humanism, whatever maybe we create these idols that say, um, this will make me happy, or this will bring me support, or... or this is what I need. If, I, if I, need. I just get this, this thing will give me the comfort that mm. I need. And we also do it in the church. I mean, inside mm. the church, we, we see these idols of like um, your theological ivory towers that you create, the knowledge that you possess, or um, tribalism, or even the ways of like, the idol of, of, that brings you comfort is your own holiness. You know, not Christ's holiness, but your own holiness. He says, look how well I'm doing at this Christian life. And so we create these idols because I think innately our, our, our human condition of being just desiring to, to feel comfort and security of being known and being loved, I feel like the, our, our sin and our weaknesses um, often kind of reach out for how do, I, how do I feel comfort? How do I feel secure? How do I know? And sometimes we want tangible things in our, in our sin and our weaknesses and we create idols to make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, and, and, and in the context of all those different spaces, we, we end up elevating all of these talking heads that th- these become th- these become the people who are maybe like the judges who, who are like we we elevate these figures that we want to listen to and we want to follow and we and if if they say something wrong then it's devastating or we're like okay they're they're kicked outside the camp now and let's let's find somebody else to elevate we, we constantly do this yeah so whether we're making idols out of stuff or things or people we do it. We do it inside the church. We do it outside the church. And the book of Judges is a good warning. It's Sam- So Samson's a good story to read, but not as a hero of faith, but as someone to be like, wow, there were moments when he trusted God, but there was a lot of times when he turned, he didn't uh, accept Christ, God's favor. Now, the cool thing is we have 
the full picture in Jesus. So we have a remedy. We have someone to look to. And they did too. They had the tabernacle, obviously, but they're, they're not honoring that. Even the, the, and I, I just want to I mean, say that at the end of, of Judges, there's the most, one of the most disturbing stories in all of Scripture. And they become like Sodom. Literally, there's a repeat of the Sodom account where Lot with Lot and his, his daughters. And there's a repeat of all the sins that God delivers them from at the end of the book of Judges. And it's, it's disgusting. But it just shows, and the author's intentional in leaving it there. He's not whitewashing or, you know, cleaning out their history. If you look at, you know, from from. From Exodus to the end of Second Kings, it's just the direct historical account. The editors and the authors are trying to really show you the sin and the brokenness of the people and why we needed this king, the prophet and why we needed the Messiah. Now, Chronicles does whitewash it. If you read Chronicles, it's just mm-hmm. like all the good stuff. Uh, but at the end of this, this judge's account is this disturbing story, and it just is trying to show that they've become the very sinful, pagan, violent, disturbing disgusting nations that god redeemed them from and then that sets us up for ruth which sets us up for first samuel which sets us up for the king which ultimately sets us up for this final king and that's my last question what happened when they got a king why do we need a king and why do we not need a king and how does how do we see judges in the light of the good news of jesus the true Mm -hmm. king yeah, I mean, just just to start out answering that first question, um, when they when when they got a king, uh, it was a disaster. <laughs> I mean, Saul, Saul King yeah. Saul was was, and and it's interesting because we we look at King David and we think about we talk about David as what the man after God's own heart, um, but but it's important to keep that in context of of the whole story of of how did they how did the people choose Saul as their king? How how did Saul become the king? Like he. He was somebody who looked the part. Like he was, he was bigger than everybody else. He looked strong and and uh, maybe maybe looked like somebody who could assume the role of, of leader as of the people. He 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 seemed like from the outside the ideal candidate. Um, but then God judges the heart. He knows the heart, and so he and, and so David is, is this contrasting figure. And he, even through that, God shows he gives us a fuller picture or, or gives us more clarity about who this coming king who this true king that, that we all need is, is going to be uh, we, we look at it as as um, as the Messiah is, is going to be a, a child of Abraham he's, he's going to come from the the kingly line of, of David um, and we're and so we're starting to, to get this this fuller picture of um, what we're looking for who, who the people are waiting for in, in this promised Messiah Um but yeah, the the them getting a king and, and even uh, even after that, like seeing okay the the child the offspring of David, then then comes Solomon. You're like, is this is this the guy? Is this going to yeah, be he the has one? Wisdom. He yeah. and and you see him do all these things that, that are contrary to what I think it's Deuteron- Deuteronomy 17 says yeah. a king is going to the king is going to be like. And, and he so literally like, fulfills the prophecy of what Moses says don't like, do. Th- yeah, and so it's like. Okay, so so the so cycle then, lasted three kings, and then, and and then so it then, fell apart. then then it yeah falls apart like it, and, and so what was unified becomes divided, and then uh, is cast down, is, is overtaken, brought into exile, and then the other half is brought into exile, and yeah, it's it's a disaster. <laughs> but then, in the fullness of time, 
comes the king that was promised. You know, and so like this idea of like we don't need a king because God's supposed to be our king. But then mm-hmm. God in his grace gives us a king to say, here's a picture of what a king could look like. You know, this coming Messiah is going to look like. Here's a picture of him for King David. Not a perfect picture, not a complete picture, but a picture. You know, and then they all fall to war, but then in the fullness of time comes the king. The king. Yeah. And not just the king, but the, also the prophet and the priest who comes and fulfills all these roles. And he's the king that that we need. He's the Messiah that, we're, that we've been needing and inaugurates this incredible kingdom that we're a part of. And what Judges was showing to us is that what we need is not an earthly king. Mm-hmm. What we need is not a normal human king. What we need is a king like Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Samuel Samuel was supposed to be the next judge in line when, when there was this uh, call for a king. And, and there's this exchange where, where Samuel Samuel's thinking that he's being rejected. And God tells him, no, they're, they're rejecting me. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like to, to have this in, in the fullness of time, this, this embrace of, of this recognition, this repentance, this call to repent and then turn to uh, the true king who is bringing about the kingdom of God. That's what we need. That's right. Amen. Well, thanks, y'all. Continue on in the Bible reading plan. We're here. If you ever need anything, guys, we're here to answer your questions. To It's hard. It's hard to read about the sinfulness and brokenness of people throughout history, even God's people. But it's beautiful to see the faithful covenant faithfulness of God ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we are part of his kingdom. So let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as we trust him with each day. Have a great week. Love you guys. Have a great one.